Our passion didn't start with the mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession. And if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness and all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits, the systems, and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on your tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of people and truly the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence. By identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with the other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Welcome to the Diddle Handoff. I'm Dr. Kelly Tanner, your hostess of our show. And today I have with me, who many of you all know and love, Dr. John Cutter with Teeth Cloud. And John is the president of HR and development with Teeth Cloud. John, thank you so much for being on today. No, thank you, Kelly, for the invitation. So I'm looking forward to it. And John, the question I always ask my guests, um, whether a dentist or a hygienist or whatever field of study that they're in is, why dentistry for you? Yeah, for me, it was a, a comfort zone. My dad had been uh, a dentist for 40 years in a little Cincinnati suburb called Loveland, um, in a town where he grew up as the youngest of eight, and his father, who had an eighth grade education, um, had served after working for the railroads as mayor for the city. Um, and dad was the first of his family who ended up going to college on the GI Bill. And as it turned out, he ended up going to uh, Ohio State and their College of Dentistry. And it's something I grew up around. And that was somewhere between 1952 and uh, 1992. And his practice was a mom and pop dental office um, for a long time. He worked uh, the clinic side. My mom eventually came to work for him probably for the last 10 or 12 years of that practice period. Um, and that was the way it was. It, it was small town. Everybody knew everybody. Um, uh, in a moment before there was such a thing as dental insurance. Um, so it, when I eventually went to university uh, and again went to Ohio State like he had, I thought, well, this is this is my role. Um, I had very good grades. I dabbled with the idea of going into OBGYN. And then through one conversation or another, it was like, oh, I'll, I'll stick with dentistry. And so uh, that was during the time of the Health Manpower Act of 1968, um, just to show you how these things come around. But in those days, uh, it was 
suggested by the government that we didn't have enough health manpower in the field. So they came to universities across the, the states and said, you have two options. You can either increase your class size or you can decrease your curriculum time. And a number of places like Ohio State said, oh, oh yeah, look, we're just poor church mice around here. You can't, we, we don't have enough money to build and add to our class size. And there's just no way that you can educate a dental student in less than four years. And what most people don't realize and still don't realize today that every doctorate, um, physician, dentist, pharmacist, turned out by a university has a bounty placed on them, a stipend. And in those days, the federal government would provide a stipend of, I believe it was $3,000 per capita for every doctor that graduated. And so the government came back to the universities and said, okay, what happens if we raise the ante? What happens if we give you a stipend of $7,000? And Ohio State said, oh, well, now we have money to build. And sure, we can decrease that curriculum time. So I basically went through four years of undergraduate and four years of dental school in six years. And by the time we got to our graduate program in dentistry, we went round the clock um, and were, were principally working about six days a week for three years. A Druid program at 15 hours, maybe 18 hours at the most per quarter, uh, which was a 10-week schedule then, got ratcheted up to 30 hours in dental school, uh, which meant we were taking 15 course subjects every 10 weeks. Um, and after about a year and a half of this, we came back to the assistant dean and said, yeah, no mas, yeah, you've got to do something about this. And they went, oh, you're right. You guys have really, and I say guys, because out of a class initially of 200, there were only four women in the class, which is certainly not the paradigm now. Um, and they said, well, you guys, you boys, you boys are obviously under a lot of pressure. We'll come up with a solution. Well, they didn't decrease the subject load, they decreased the hours assigned. So we were still taking 15 courses a, uh, a quarter, but they were just structured at a lower um, uh, accreditation rate. And so by the end of three years, we looked like First Army walking into Berlin. We were pretty salty and people were finally wanting to hug us and be uh, cuddly. And at that point, it was like, take your hands off of me. And that class left the state of Ohio to the tune of about 75%. And it was then that the university looked up and said, you know what, our job is to create dentists for the state, not everywhere else. So it, that program lasted about five years. Um, but as I entered private practice um, in Ohio, and I worked in two suburbs of the Cincinnati marketplace, I had a flagship practice in a little place called Fairfield, uh, which was near the uh, northwestern border, uh, and also uh, ended up taking over my father's practice in Loveland, 
And um, around 2008, it became apparent that the government was putting out the same mantra because the number of dentists were finally decreasing from the overloaded pipeline that had been created in the 60s and 70s. And now they were looking at the world saying, you know what, maybe we don't need to take insurance anymore. Maybe we can do this pretty much on our own and pick and choose, especially if a practice on average is about 2,000 patients. Um, and so the government started doing the same drumbeat. And when I realized that, I looked at my staff and said, if the election in 2008 seems to be trending in a certain direction, I'm going to sell the practices. They actually became more productive um, as a metrically driven staff, um, which was fine because it just raised our bottom line. But that's exactly what happened when it became apparent that the Democrats would take the election and they no longer had to create this false crisis. Um, I called my broker in January and March, the practice was on the block and by um, June, we had it sold. Um, and then the market crashed in October, which couldn't have been better timing at that point. Um, because otherwise I'd probably still be back there trying to figure out how to retire at this point or not. Um, but that led to uh, about 30, goodness, what was that? I graduated in 76. So in 2008, I sold my practice. I had then married and my wife was living in California at the time. So as I sold my practice, as I moved to California, I was supposed to be retired. And after about... Uh, a number of months of doing that, it was, I'm not built this way. And so I went to work for a DSO. Was very well healed. It was very well known on the West Coast. Um, I have to say, it probably had some of the most well-appointed facilities and trained staff that I've worked with over time, um, including some of the hospital staff that I'd worked with in Cincinnati. Um, but it's just not the way we treated my patient family. And I was coming home tired and rather angry at the management style. And it was about that time, after about two years of that, I was headhunted by um, the NHANES program um, out of the CDC and Westat Corporation. And so I went to work for them. Um, NHANES is the National Health and Examination. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. And NHANES served principal gold standard for legislative healthcare data acquisition in the U.S., as well as postdoctoral research data acquisition. And so I worked with them for four years, and my job was to follow the algorithms and go from city to city in six week slots with a 60 individual crew. And we parked ourselves in four semi-trailer trucks that were all gutted and retrofitted for research. And it wasn't all oral research, although that was my bailiwick. Um, but we did everything from a 1,400-point blood assay to um, mental health, um, ocular health, uh, um, auditory, uh, stadiometric uh, programs, 
um, within my area, we did um, full blend baseline triage um, and a full perio chart um, that was part of the 50-year perio study uh, that was developed in the U.S. Um, my other area was to do oral assays for HPV. Um, and those programs and data led to decreasing the recommendations for vaccination ages. Uh, whereas we were vaccinating for around 12 years of age, then we started realizing that HPV is much more prevalent than we had imagined. Um, so it came down to nine. We also piloted a study um, of the Hitachi Kokosai camera, which is an interesting program that uses a specialized lens system with ambient light that will actually let us visualize and quantify the amount of fluorosis in teeth. And so those studies eventually led to the decrease in standardized water levels um, in the U.S. So we went from 1.2 million parts or 1.2 parts per million to 0.7 parts per million. Wow, that's just amazing to be a part of that research. It really was. I mean, I, I, it was one of those things where I had just been married for um, not much more than about two years, and I literally was on the road 11 months out of every year. Um, and then I would go home for holidays um, or get away somehow. And... Uh, uh, after four years, my wife, who is a Filipina, children are grown. We have five of them. And I said, if ever you wanted to go back to the Philippines, because she had been in the States for almost 35, 37 years. Her family is in the Philippines. She had businesses here. Her mother was still living in her 90s. Um, I said, yeah, let's go to the Philippines. We'll, we'll retire there. And I, I really will be retired. And so we got here, boots on the ground at the end of 2014, and have stayed ever since. And again, after about three months, I realized that I'm just not built for retirement. So I started teaching dentistry, pathology, and radiology, and practice management, and um, a course on advanced therapy modalities at a local university here. Um, and then those contracts ended in about 2019, uh, just before the pandemic, which was fine because that then led me to Teeth Cloud and the development of this group. So why Teeth Cloud for you? Like what, what got you from where you were and then the global vision that you have for Teeth Cloud, because as we can see from your background, where global oral health, dental informatics, and the future meet. And that's how you and I met, John, because I have... Full disclosure and transparency, you are one of our thought leaders in dental hygiene in, in the U.S. Um, and we've got some great hygienists all over the globe. But um, when I got here, as I realized I was no longer... Um, retiring, I uh, then decided to be the best prom date in the Philippines. So I went from university to university with CV in hand and said, look, it's not about the money anymore. It's, it's about bandwidth. And I just hate to have all of this sit here and not go to any purpose. 
show me your databases and I'll show you how I can best help you. Well, we don't got them. Um, and unfortunately, um, there is a program here called the National Medical Examination Diagnostics and Diagnostic Survey. But as of today, it's about 19 years really out of date. Uh, it really needs some upkeep at that point. So at that junction, I said, well, there's our answer. We need databases and we need a gold standard. And let me put you in touch with NIH in the States and we'll all talk government to government. And as it turned out um, at that point, um, the government was not terribly keen on uh, pushing the oral health initiative or to a certain degree, the medical initiative here. We have 110 million people in the Philippines. The statistics that do hold up are that 70% of our population never, ever, ever, from cradle to grave, see a physician. 90% never see a dentist. They live, they die. We don't know what we don't know. Um, and because of that, that data acquisition becomes so critical not only to start making valid decisions from, but also to start marshalling resources and find out where we need to best impact these populations. During that time, I made the acquaintance of a gentleman who's a mechanical engineer out of Leiden, Netherlands. His name is Boucher Put. He was the president of a group called dentalcharting.com. And he had developed software platforms for practice management and dentistry. And they were really great um, entry-level platforms. They weren't so simple that they didn't have any muscle to them, um, but they were sophisticated enough that they generated great data acquisition. And more importantly, they gave us real-time, same-day data. And what that means is as soon as that data goes in, all the tumblers start moving forward. I can pull it right back out analytically and I can start looking at it and seeing the changes and the outcomes and the trends. When the pandemic, and we used that program and one of our now board members who was a principal researcher for us by the name of Dr. Clarissa Pei in Cebu in our Southern Island, took 60 dentists, trained them on the platform for six weeks, and then turn them loose in the field for about six more weeks. And in that six-week time, they went into 42 schools and uploaded 8,000 school children to the cloud with a database at that point. And um, that was seminal. We carried that information literally around for four years to the Philippine government saying, have to understand how significant this is because mm -hmm. back in the states with a team of 60 around me even though that's not exactly an apples to apples comparison but close enough that to come up with 8000 inputs would have been a two year commitment and we did it here in the philippines in 6 weeks and so the logical discussion then was, you 10x that number a couple of times, we can put the whole 14 million population of the school children of the Philippines in the cloud in about three to five years. Isn't that great? 
And all we got was polite listening to it. In fact, one of my favorite conversations happened at the Department of Education where a woman said, um, you know, we, we'll stipulate to the size of the problem. We really don't want to know how bad the problem is. We'd like you to make an 80% correction in the problem. Yeah. And that's when I, I broke into my, my Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky background and said, well, hell, lady, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> if, if you made a 3% correction over time, that would be significant. If you made a 5% correction, right. that would be a sea change. So after four years of beating our heads against the political wall, we basically absolved ourselves of all allegiances to try to do it by the book like we probably would have done it elsewhere in the world. And at that junction, um, we started turning towards stakeholders. As the pandemic hit, it drove us to our desks. And after about three months of sitting there going, nobody's going to buy a subscription platform for software management and help us with this overall vision within regions. So we had been joined um, after that Adopt-A-School program, after those 8,000 children. We had taken our research to three successive World Dental Congresses at the FBI. Um, Dr. Pei presented in Poznan in Poland. I presented in Madrid and Buenos Aires. Um, and after Buenos Aires, FDI was nice enough to say, look, you know, you don't have a product here. You've got a bona fide research tool. Go out and do something with it. Right, bring us back some more data. Um, and so we were using that as our principal instrument until the pandemic hit um, and still do. Um, but what ended up happening was we, we took it one more time and presented the whole mess of um, research at the IADR in Brisbane in Australia. And at that point, nine other countries glammed onto us and said, we want to do what you're doing. I was like, mm. oh, good. All right. So now we're going to go someplace. So come 2020, we were packed and loaded for bear. Um, but when the pandemic hit, it was like, now where do we go? So what we did was we reached out to the 10 opinion leaders, the thought leaders in those 10 countries and said, what do you see? What's on the horizon? Where, where is dentistry as a profession going to go after we come out of the other side of the profession mm -hmm. or out of the pandemic? And the one common uh, thread in all of the conversations was dental informatics in all of its various forms, whether it was data science, dental data science, whether it was artificial intelligence, whether it was telehealth, whether it was public oral health. Um, that was the common thread. And at that point, we said, oh, okay, we need to build a bigger tent and we need to focus on informatics and what it can do. So that was really the birth of Teeth Cloud. Um, and as far as the world knows, we're, we'll only be two years old at the beginning of July. Um, but in that run-up to these two years, we've now added our 31st country. Uh, Bahrain joined, joined us about four years, or I'm sorry, four months ago. Sorry, four weeks ago. Um, I anticipate Scotland, 
South Africa and Kenya joining us sometime soon. Um, uh, possibly Mexico, we'll see more. Um, but the thought leaders that have come to us, and to be honest, Kelly, it was hygiene that drove the momentum because hygienists were coming out of the profession going, look, you know, it's not the profession. It's the culture under which I'm working. If I've got a choice, I'm going somewhere else and I want to help the community around me. I see the problems. I even know the solutions to the problems. I just don't know how to acquire the data or set up a program like that. And that was the beginning of it. So the battle cry from here on out with PCloud is, A, there's no health without oral health. Mm. B, there are no oral health solutions without valid data. And C, which is the linchpin, all of us now um, doing what we do day in and day out are virtual research hubs. As long as you have a platform that can upload to a cloud and we can connect that cloud and we can harvest that data anonymously, we can do the analytics on it. Now we've got things to talk about. Um, and so, you know, my favorite quote comes from Mark Twain that says, you know, it's not the things you know um, uh, that get you into trouble. It's the things you know that just ain't so. And that's exactly mm -hmm. it. So as we start developing this, we start finding out that all those old axioms that we have been taught for decades just may not hold water anymore. Um, and so it's an exciting time. You know, I, I, I honestly wish I had another couple of decades to do this, but uh, I, I think uh, one day I'll really have to retire. So it's up to younger professionals like you to get out there and do these things. So. so what are some leadership lessons, would you say, in the next few minutes that we have left together? What would you say your maybe top three leadership lessons that you learned, like going from general dentist, learning, learning through what you navigated into your now and where you sit, looking back? Let's hope we're all blessed with a great education, which looking back, even though it was a bad Richard Widmark movie, um, you know, the, the battle cry has always been, no matter how bad life is, nothing will be as bad as dental school. Um, but it, or graduate it was school, a, I'll add. <laughs> or graduate school. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's, it's pushing the envelope, and that's part of leadership. You know, the reason you have those tensions and stress is you push yourself beyond the envelope of comfort that you bring to the table at first. And I, I will stipulate that universities have a hard role to play because they have to take X number of people in a heterogeneous population and turn them into a homogenous professional mass. And that requires some, some bootstrap mentality at that point or boot camp mentality. Um, so yes, let's hope we all have a strong foundation in education. Um, so pick your university well. Number two, it ain't about me. Um, if I can point to any of the success around me, it was my staff. We learned well before these kind of conversations that metrics are key. So all of my staff members were metrically driven, and they all had metrically assigned responsibility. 
that's where we found out that I didn't make the production in the office. My front office person, my front desk person, the scheduler did. I didn't bring patients into the, the practice and drove, and neither did my website or my logo, which was considered really radical. And it's just the one who cemented the relationships. She was the one who basically created new patient growth and retention. Um, and I wasn't the one doing the inventory. It was the chair-side assistant, the senior chair-side assistant. And so that's 85% of success. And my job was to realize that I had great horses, so to speak, and just let them run. Um, and as long as the metrics were there, we had a visible measure daily to find out who was pulling their weight and who may be in need of training and, and support. Um, and then the last lesson is, <laughs> don't be afraid to say yes to almost anything. Um, you know, a lot of where I've gotten to is because I found myself wandering into places I probably had no business being in. And then someone would say, well, okay, you're here. Sit there, but don't say anything. And <laughs> I, there, I, I, and especially as I get older, I just can't keep my mouth shut. I'm sorry. But then they go, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. Come on back next week. And so those opened a lot of doors between private practice, between education, teaching, not only dental students, but dental hygienists, um, working in the hospital venues, working for the CDC and NHANES, um, and now doing this globally, uh, having an opportunity to connect with really great minds. I, I'm impressed at who's gravitated to the T-Cloud. Putting yourself in the position, even when you're not comfortable, to say yes, to learn more, to challenge yourself more, because I think that that is such an important piece. That last one yeah. encapsulates yeah. everything and, and it pulls it full circle to where we end up. And it all those experiences, whether it's it's whether you're going to do that for the rest of your life or whether it's just for a moment as a stepping stone, as you said, you were the best prom date in the Philippines when you moved there, that all of those experiences helped you become where you are today. Yeah, yeah, we are, we are service industry. Everybody says, oh, you know, we're the healthcare industry. No, that's our sector. We're service. And I think if you keep that in mind, it keeps you humble and it gets you through the stress of Mrs. Jones and the 10th denture adjustment this week. Yeah, so I think that's a big part of it at that point. And, I totally and your agree. People will gravitate to that. I, your 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 team will gravitate to that, and you know, I that's really it. Yeah, so it's it's easy to be humble when you realize that yeah, you didn't you didn't do all that by yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah, we it, we all need each other, and to be in service with each other, for each other, for our communities. And um, I, I, and I know that that's what you're all about, John, from the moment I met you. And you just have such a, an amazing vision and you're an, you're an inclusive partner into how we serve those around us and to figure it out, like you say, to use the metrics. And then you, you, I feel like in the interactions and the calls I've been on with you, you bring people into those circles to further engage in and challenge 
to the existing thoughts of, you know, what was, what was status quo? Where are we now? It, and is now what we think it is? And how do we grow? From that? Uh, yeah, the, the ultimate question is, are you doing a good job? And the next question right after that is, how do you know? Do you take mm. data? You know, do you deal with the same populations over and over again, especially if you're a global initiative and you go out into the world? Are you coming back? If you're not, you know, intellectually, if we're honest, we have to say you're not helping the problem. Um, mm. So, and I know that's a hard pitch, but yeah, um, within the realm of pitches to, to your listeners, those who aren't familiar with dental informatics, we're happy in TeethCloud to make them familiar with it. We're even happy to give you a very simple index to score yourself to see that maybe you're farther along than you imagine. But the pipe dream would be, give me 50 practices around the world that are uploading data. Um, and we can provide a platform for that. And then at that point, now we've got a network. And I think those will be 50 practices that, you know, 10 practices a piece will continue to follow. Now you've got something to really hang your hat on. Um, and that's not a bad, that's a, not a bad way to go out as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time sharing your journey and where you've been. That's quite an amazing journey that you've been on and where you continue to go. So to our listeners, you know that you can always um, reach out to our to our guests in the show notes. And John, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you, you, Dr. Tanner. It's a pleasure. Good to see you again and keep up the great work. I'm enjoying all the podcasts that you're producing. Thank you so much. Well, to all of our listeners, If you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, as always ask, go on Apple Podcasts, give me a five-star rating, give the dental handoff a five-star rating because you know Apple Podcasts is what matters. And then go on over to YouTube, like, subscribe, and share to your friends. Thank you as always for what you do every day for your communities and the folks you serve. And you guys have a great day and we'll talk to you soon on the other side. Thank you so much. 